Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift, the online cycling platform that makes training fun. Benji and I here for Giro d'Italia's 2022 stage 18 recap the last sprint stage opportunity the last one why cavendish got over the mountains because he's behind on chiclamino why he suffered through 16 17 10,000 meters of climbing in the last two days was today from borgo valsugana to treviso some rolling climbs nothing serious 2.3 case 4.7 percent some uncategorized ones but then the Muro di Cadel Poggio, 1.1k is 11.3%, but it's like 50k from the finish. So, would Alperson get someone in the break? Would they launch it for MVDP on that climb and try and drop uh, Cavendish and Demar? But then you got 50k to the finish. So, I thought it was going to be a sprint stage because there's no Binium here and there's no allies for Alperson. But we had a decent break, Benji. Some really experienced breakaway riders in it. Yes, certainly. It started off with an attack by Oscar Isebeck, ended up not working out with some other riders. Affini tried alone to get away, didn't really work out, and then was the breakaway that actually got away. So, not a fierce breakaway fight on this stage. And we had Magnus Kort, Dries de Bon being the first two riders attacking away. And then we got a bridge from Affini once again with Davide Gaburo of Bardiani. So, those four riders were in that breakaway, but one guy wasn't happy. Francesco Gavazzi was like, Let's give it a try. He tried to counter, but didn't make it. And then dropped back to the peloton. A clear chasse patate is what we call it in Belgium. And uh, that four-man group was the breakaway of the day. And it's not like the breakaway had the largest gap all day, but I feel like that's a strategy we've seen every single time Magnus Kort is in the breakaway, right? You explained it, I think, on Discord to me today. Like, what does Kort do when he's in a breakaway? He speeds up towards the end, right? Like he, you can see them form a plan. The Bonds said in a post-stage interview they formed a plan. We saw them talking, and Court is the master of this. He completely baits the peloton. So the key is, first of all, you is having some sort of climb nearish the finish. And I'll take you back if you want to see a carbon copy of this stage. Go to watch stage nineteen of the Vuelta. I've highlights on Lantern Rouge YouTube channel. Uh, Tapia to Monforte de Lemos caught was in that breakaway with Simmons, Bagioli and co. And a late-ish climb, I'm talking in the last 80 minutes, it disrupts the peloton. And so what they do is keep the gap, the peloton, no, sorry, the breakaway, you do not take the gap out too far. You do not spend energy trying to get it to four minutes, five minutes before that climb. You keep it tight, two minutes. And then the, the peloton doesn't want to catch you. And this is the mistake they made. The peloton, you need to have that gap tight by that climb because DeMar's team and Cav's team are not going to send that climb. Even their other big flat domestiques are going to have to recover after that climb and can't go hard on it. So they keep the gap tight, conserve energy, they get over the climb, the breakaway, and then they rip it. They go full gas. Affini de Bont caught 
that trio is stronger than any ruler trio that any of the sprint teams can put together. Konovalovos, I'll give you. He's as strong as one of them, but then who else? Schmidt, mm, not convinced, but he's strong. James Knox ain't it. James Knox pulling against DeBont, Affini, and Court, and Gabura was contributing too. No chance. And next to that, off camera, we didn't know what happened. We suddenly saw a visual that there was a group behind, and nobody knew why that group was behind. The gap was already a minute behind, and we had Trek pacing in there. Juanpe Lopez, El uh, Patron, Lil Patron. I don't know what no, to call prince, it now that no, he's in the, the white prince. jersey. It's a prince. Okay. Yeah. He, uh, he's in that back group. He's getting pulled back by Trek, but they're not gaining time. And who's in there? A Sinkledom, for example. Riders from the teams that you would expect to also help out in the peloton to try and catch the breakaway. So that's also missing characters, missing riders that would potentially be valuable of catching that breakaway. So I think the loss of that second group might have also influenced the chase, I think. For sure, particularly single down, but even with him, I'm not convinced. And yeah, you're basically getting to a situation where it's 20Ks, I don't know, 90 seconds, 70 seconds uh, plus, 10Ks, it's a minute 10 or a minute 5. This is the exact same gap, by the way, for the break with Ancorn and Maestri and Benji's enemy. But the difference is here. Three extremely strong rulers. Kaburo is cooperative. We have no uphill finish. And yeah, mainly these guys are extremely strong. And the sprinters teams, uh, this is not the Tour de France. It's not Kasper Asgren, Stibar swapping off with then Konovalovos. It's not those guys. It's Paul Mauro Schmidt. And so the break, I thought this was done at 8Ks just because of the composition of it. And before we get to this finale, mention our show partners, Wift of whom MVDP has tuned up, or at least done his taper rides prior to the Giro d'Italia. It's been essential for keeping on top of my and Benji's fitness goals. Benji, what did you have today? You had a battle with Guillaume. Yes, certainly. I was fighting a friend of mine on the volcano, KOM on Zwift. And like, to be honest, I climbed that climb half the time that I did six months ago. So I've had a significant improvement on the climb. Unfortunately. I was gaining time on Guillaume, my friend, on the climb itself. In the middle, 20 seconds advantage. I was like, I'm going to make a Pogacar move happen here. I'm going to destroy everybody. But in the final 100 meters, he passed me. So let's skip that small detail here. But uh, my PR was uh, was beaten. So I'm happy about my personal best being beaten. And I look forward to trying again next month. Because that's the climb I use every single month to check if I'm better than the last month. <laughs> Unlike Benji, the breakaway was negative splitting and they were drawing away. And we get into this finish, perfect cooperation, 3Ks to go, 30 seconds. It dropped 10, but that was the moto just moving up, so the time changed. We get to 3Ks to go. It's lined out in the peloton, full gas, narrow circuit, and we see split. We see splits happening. All of a sudden, we see a slender Bora Hansgrohe rider with no teammates, no Gamper, no Kelderman, no Bookman, no Kemner around him. It's Jai Hindley is dropped. Now, we'll talk about we'll talk about that rule in a second. I got some thoughts about it. But we're like, this is a chaotic finish. El Patron is on, oh, sorry, the Prince is two minutes 40 back. Anyway, get to the finish. Court goes to the front. And this is where I think being the favorite cost him. 
and his reputation cost him and probably their weight and expectation cost him. Dries de Bont never won a World Tour race. He's only won one one races. He won in a sprint. Belgian champs was solo ahead of Kaiser in 2020. And Afini low-key fast. You remember he came second in a Giro stage with a huge burst last year and Nitzola caught him on stage 13. DeBont takes third wheel, Afini second, Court leads it out. Gaburo, poor guy's fourth, so he's not going to win. Dukent beat him in the sprint the other day. And Court opens up super early. He's got nothing. He almost sits back down immediately. Afini goes to the left early too. DeBont has already come out of the wheel of Afini to go right, but Court's coming back, sandwiches him. DeBont waits and is like, no, nah, I have to go through this gap where I'm cooked. She gets rid of Court, has to restart a sprint, and then beats Afini to the line. And he, if you've been following his results closely this year and watching yeah. some of these you know, we call them point farming races sometimes, but that's a bit disparaging. He, he has been very fast against good competition. Behind Hofstede, but ahead of De Wolf at Le Semin, behind De Lee, and he wins this stage. And Benji, it, I don't think that was a huge surprise to either of us. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we were talking in the chat while the stage was going on, and we both had a feeling that the bond would be pulling this off. And while Court was performing quite well in the Velta last year and had those sprints, and he's good in reduced bunch sprints. We haven't really seen that this year that he's been at that level. So I'm still a bit doubtful at him, but he's getting better over time as well. But the bond has been so consistent in his, his reduced bunch sprints as well this year. Like Circuit and is a good example. That's a really like, that's a solid sprint field. Like uh, Capio, for example. And Delis legit. And yeah, and the Bond got second behind Walshide in the NAS. So, like, he's gotten good results in sprints. And I was like, he's going to take this one. And to see him do that against Gord, but not only against Gord, because I feel like Eduardo Affini was the most surprising sprint in that goddamn front group. That man kept on with the Bond so, so much. But do you think that's related to the fact that the Bond got hindered? I think the Bond wins by half a bike length if he doesn't have to check his sprint uh halfway through it that being said maybe if he's put on the front and Afini's on his wheel he can win this sprint Afini was in the wind a long time and you remember the sprint that court one he had it is the stage i was making the comparison with the monforte de lemos stage in the vuelta he had craddock doing a lead out he had simmons who jumped early he had the perfect sit and he was beating Oliveira, Simmons, and Bancioli. It's DeBont's yeah. quicker than those guys, and Court was in the worst position. So huge win for DeBont. Albert's having a great Giro, Benji. Yep, three in total now stage wins, you know, with Oldani as well taking stage 12, I think. Oh, I forgot about him. So uh, three different riders winning stages. If you went before this race started and said, oh, Albert's going to win three stages, everyone would have thought, ah, oh, three times Albert, it's got three times Van der Poel. But no, it's three different riders, and that's great to see. And they've been close on other occasions as well with the time trial with Vanderpool as well. So a really successful race for them, especially knowing that they don't have anyone climbing necessarily to win mountain stages unless Vanderpool somehow manages it in the next couple of days. And I, to be honest, it's a, there's a chance there, but I don't think it's 100% possible. But yeah, it's, it's been a very successful race for them. That's quite certain. And just to round out the top 10, DeBont first, Avini second, Court third, Gaburo fourth, then in the peloton behind, 14 seconds behind, Dainese fifth, Damar sixth, Chimalai seventh, Cavendish eighth, Gaburo ninth, Cav never 
goes full on these sprints to the line and Chiclamino is out of the question for him anyway. I think, uh, let me just have a quick look, DeMar's 120 points ahead. So that's over <laughs> as long as DeMar gets through the mountain stages. I would say this was a masterclass in breakaway riding from these four. Congrats to all of them for the commitment. It gave themselves the best chance. Even if Court didn't win, he ain't winning from the bunch. So this is the yep. best chance, the best probability to win the stage. He just got unlucky that DeBonds and Afini were quicker. Uh, and to be honest, I actually think Bardiani getting Gaburo, at least he's getting in winning moves. At least Bardiani. I yeah, would say. Twice. Twice in winning moves. the Oldani move as well. So uh, the Kent crazy. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. My bad. But still, like he's in there in relevant races, not just suicide breaks. Before we get onto the Hindley discussion, which I really want to talk about, and Almeida abandoning, mention the supporting sponsor of LRCP's Giro coverage, but related to the Tour of Norway, GCN Plus at the Tour of Norway today. This is one you want to catch up on if you've missed it and you watched the Giro. GCN Plus have the Tour of Norway in all GCN Plus territories. And today, as we speak, we'll have to watch it afterwards. On GCN Plus is the mountaintop finish between Plap, Hater, Remco, Javine, Chavez, huge names, big young prospects on a genuine mountaintop finish midweek. So that is one to tune into a lot of cycling this week, particularly if you've missed it with the Gira d'Italia. Make sure to use our link down below if you're in the relevant territories to get 25% off. But going back to the three kilometers, split happened. Jai Hindley's on the wrong side of it. The minute you saw him riding in Benji casually with Gamper, you we knew it was a mechanical, right? That's a thought I had at least because if you don't have a mechanical in the last three kilometers but are dropped, you're going to give your all to try and not lose as many time as possible and in this situation Hindley was not doing that he was riding to the line like he either just crashed or had a mechanical like he had the confidence that his time loss would not count that's how I viewed it and that was the case but I also want to point out that a mechanical in the last three kilometers by a GC rider that is on his way to win this race and the camera misses it once again this is atrocious i can't get over it like every single thing that happens in this race these directors are missing and it hurts but hey we, we've talked about it quite a few times now but uh when it comes to that three kilometer rule it counts when it comes to crashes and when it comes to mechanicals i know you've got a strong opinion on this so ran away well i'm not sure it should count if you for example paranese 2020 i can't remember if it's shackman or agita whoever ended up winning gc shackman they just crashed themselves they, they made a mistake in a corner and it was a stage that should never have been the 3K ruler and they crash and they got given the same time and it was their handling mistake. And I thought, that's BS. So that was a bad application of it because I think if I'm looking at the rule, it's supposed to be independent from the physical capacity of the rider and it's like, well, what if you stuff a shift? What if you like mash your gears out of a corner? Like... Is that your fault? I don't know. I don't know if me- mechanicals, ah, I guess they have to count. Anyway, it, it either one of two things happen. If you're being really cynical, Hinley's a genius and Bora a genius, where if you don't have a mechanical but you're in a bad position and you're on the side of the split, you sit up, you get that wheel changed, and then, you know, I had a mechanical. Happy days, ride it in. That's fine. Probably didn't. He probably did have a mechanical, but it happened at the same time as the split. Now it's possible also that him having the mechanical coming, losing that wheel out of that line, 
created this split as well with all of Bora dropping back. That's also probably the most likely. But yeah, um, all happened at the same time. We didn't see too much and the three-kilometer rule saves him. Do you think, and it's a tough one because you don't want to see if a guy does have a puncture, then being losing two minutes on GC after working hard for three weeks. But the crashes, I don't, I don't, I don't like the three-kilometer rule for crashes at all. I think it should be removed. I don't even think it makes the race safer. I don't know what to think about it. It's a very difficult rule to look at. You know that GC riders are trying to keep themselves to the front in a safe position until that three-kilometer moment starts. And after that, we see them moving back in the peloton. So there's something there. What if you don't have that three-kilometer rule? Does that influence the outcome of the final three kilometers? Does that make the sprints less safe? That situation I'm thinking about as well, next to the fact that if you're a rider and you crash out in the last three kilometers, not crash out, but if you crash in the last three kilometers or have a mechanical, I don't know, on a flat stage, because this rule only counts on stages that are specified as a certain type of stage uh, between organizers yeah it, it depends per organizer because like i swear in was it catalonia or something where some of the climbing stages that ended with a flat finish and so forth also counted for the three kilometer rule and then an uphill finish like arate the three kilometer rule counted so there that was basque country it didn't make sense there but the organizers specify before the race starts or before the stage starts sometimes last minute if that stage has a three-kilometer rule or not. And in this case, we know that this stage is going to have that three-kilometer rule. I don't necessarily mind that being the case on a flat stage. But why three Ks? Why not 10? I didn't decide the three-kilometer. I don't, I don't well, know. I, mean. I don't know why arbitrary. three was chosen. <laughs> I think it's too close to the finish. If you, if you, there's a thought that, and I sort of agree with it, that, Often you see GC teams and GC riders get getting in the way of the sprinters who are actually there to win the stage. And with three kilometers to go, the sprinters teams are already going forward and taking position. It's too close to the finish. So if you really want GC guys, because listen, there's been studies, I think, that when the three-kilometer rule came in, it just brought the crashes further away from the finish and the crashes are in the run into the three kilometers because that's the finish line for the GC guys. Um, so should you have it at 10K? Should you have it at all? I'm not sure. Uh, but for for consistency, the organizers, we should note that three-kilometer rule, according to the UCR rules, shouldn't apply or does not apply when the finish is at the top of a hill climb. What's a hill climb? How long's a piece of string? <laughs> is it a road that's uphill for two percent false flat uphill? I don't know. So that's another whole kettle of fish. But yeah, Jai Hindley, same time. El, pa- El Prince uh, in the white jersey loses two minutes. And let me just check how much he's lost on GC. He's lost a lot of time now. He's way behind yeah. Pots of Evo, so he's in ninth. And Carthy's closing in on him in tenth. Uh, that ninth spot, Carthy is in tenth. But we just said that again. He's in the white jersey. That's because Joao Almeida did not take the start today. He's out of the Giro d'Italia after testing positive for COVID nineteen. Benson had an article on this in Velo News with some quotes from UAE general manager Gianetti who said that they did an internal PCR, oh, an internal COVID fast test, and it came positive, and they're about to do the PCR, but he's got light symptoms, so 
he's out of the race. So they pulled him. And there's a couple of things. I I think Caicedo was pulled. He had a, a test positive for COVID the other day, I think, ahead of stage 16. So on the rest day testing, first of all, I don't think, in fact, I'm very sure many of the teams are not doing daily COVID tests. But it might have been that Almeida was sick, so they test him for COVID because he had some light symptoms. I don't know. Maybe UA do a test every day because this was not the RCS test on the second rest day. I'm not even sure of the current rules anymore if they are doing tests every rest day, but they pull him out. Um, I guess my view, Benji, is they have to pull him out. He's like, he's sick. You can't, he's like, young guy, you can't fuck up his health continuing the two mountain stages with symptoms but where to from now and what learnings from this Giro for Almeida well firstly I'd like to say that he's been relatively consistent in his climbing throughout his race obviously in this last week he has been a bit worse perhaps the COVID inflicted that perhaps not we will never know but we will know that he was able to compete at some shape or form for the top four of this race and was looking pretty good for that fourth place certainly already so It's a shame to see him drop like that out of the race in the last week, 100%. But we could have seen it coming, to be honest. His entire team was socially distancing from him the entire race, and he from the breakaway elite group. So it's not a surprise in that sense. But I don't know. It's it's unfortunate. But where to from here? He wrote basically the entire Giro, so I don't expect him to start at Tour de France. I think he launches uh, towards the Vuelta. I'd like to see him ride both the Giro and the Vuelta. And I would expect with the climbing that he showed in this Giro that he'd be a domestique or backup leader at least. Backup leader that unfolds into a domestique role for Pogacar in that Vuelta. Do you see that differently? Yeah, I think Vuelta makes a lot of sense. We don't even know. Like Pogacar, he might do it. He might not. You know, plans change. He might have Wells as a focus. He might want to go for the Italian classics. It's a very tough ask to do Vuelta Worlds Lombardia with a lot of travel back and from Australia as well with Worlds this year and the Vuelta is shortly finishes shortly before Worlds so the key is he had no teammates in this Giro so I guess (laughs) that's the problem Formolo all these other guys I think the deal at UAE is when you're racing with Pogaccia you race for Pogaccia that's how it is. He's the best. But when you're at races without him, everyone gets to have their chances. Uh, we saw that at Catalonia. Uh, but I think in this third week, it wasn't It wasn't even a choice thing. They just couldn't. Like, Formula didn't have the legs to help him. I think so as well. But don't you think that there's a difference between everybody else at UAE and Almeida? I think Almeida's higher in the GC chances than everybody else in that team except Pogacar. So I see a possibility that they might actually use him as a backup leader in the first two weeks to keep him close and then see in the third week if he needs to fall into a domestique role or wherever necessary. Or do you say it's complete domestique work from the start? No, I would give him co-leadership just because there's, yeah, the long TT, they should be in good position after that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Again, his recovery will depend on what he should do. He's got, there'll, there'll be probably Polonia he might be able to get ready for. Um, the the thing is, even if he hadn't got COVID, and we don't know how it was affecting his climbing beforehand, like, is what is 
I guess this race just didn't suit him. There's no TTKs. Like he was sent to the race that just didn't suit him that much. Imagine if there was 70 kilometres of TT, then he would have been in a much better position and with other teammates to help him because Paul's killed him yesterday. But a real shame for Almeida um, being pulled out of the race in the third week without he was in the white jersey and even fourth, even though he's got it before, it's a great result. Uh, but tomorrow's stage, the first of the... Now, this isn't the hardest of the mountain stages. Their stage 20 is harder. This is the Santuario de, de Castel Monte, 179Ks, flat, then 3Ks, 8.5%, 9Ks, 5.4%, descent, then the Col of Rat, 10.4Ks, 9%, descent, and then 7.3Ks, 6% finish. Not that hard. I see this as break all day. I um would say so as well. I would say so as well, and I think that in the GC group, You'd need to have someone that is willing to take it up by putting someone in the breakaway and using that as a satellite rider behind the Call of Rod climb to actually get GC action out of this, I think. Yes, if the Peloton group goes to the final climb, we might see them clashing on the final climb. I'm pretty sure of that. We will see that. But I agree this is breakaway all day. And um, I actually don't know who would fit this stage because you said it last time. I think uh, uh, Tratnik was a name that you mentioned for this one because... Slovenia, they go through Slovenia, so 50 watts bonus. And next to that, it's kind of like the stage that Lafay also won, right? In last year's Giro, but that was early, so I'm not sure that's necessarily the same in that sense. Who would you have as a pig? Because I'm going to let you go first. I kind of like Court. Uh, he's climbing way better. So Court looked good in the GC group the other day. He looked good in the break today, and he just missed out. And at 7K, 6%, he can climb really, really well. I quite like Court, uh, Guillaume Martin, but he'll go for, he should just go for the stage at this point. He's so far out of GC. Yates is gone. Ciccone, of course, can win. So I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Ciccone, another stage. Okay, I'm going to go with Machu van der Poel because he's going to be in the breakaway. He's done it every single mountain stage, and this final climb is not the longest. So if he can get an advantage before the Kolovrat climb on the other breakaway riders, like he did on the previous stages, then who knows? He might be able to make it. You never know. And uh, I'd like to see him try. Let's hope so. He'll be in the break. So that'll be a good stage. Probably the same candidates, but I think the finish really suits Ciccone unless he lets MVP get too far ahead of him. But that's all from us today. Make sure you check out uh, Zwift if you want to train indoors and keep on top of your fitness goals there's a free seven-day trial for new signups at zwift.com there's a link down below and we'll see you at the recap of stage 19 tomorrow ciao even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.